Hey y'all, Pastor Emil here with another episode of Sweet Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Ice cream is sweet, but Jesus is far sweeter. And we can tell you that for certain because I am here with Drew and uh, we actually have ice cream here uh, and it's pretty sweet, definitely sweet. Uh, uh, Drew may or may not agree with me, but I think Jesus is sweeter than this, but this is pretty sweet. This is pretty darn good. Uh, I think you were in the middle of saying something to me and I told you to stop talking and wait until we started <laughs> recording. So why don't you tell me what you're going to tell me so I can take another bite of this delicious I'm, goodness. I mean, here. I have a feeling where, where you're going to take, where, you, where you're going to take this idea. But, um, you know, we, we call this, we call this little series, you know, Sundays with Drew. And it, for the first time in recorded history of this podcast, we have actual <laughs> Sundays on set people. Yeah. And, so, uh, you know, just to do a little shout out, it's a uh, Ice cream company right over there off of off of uh, gauze. They are great, great people, very local, very friendly. All their ice cream is made in Mandeville, I do believe. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. They have all kinds of excellent flavors, all your classic toppings. Um, they do malts and milkshakes. It's amazing. So uh, we are definitely enjoying the sweet respite that is a ice cream on Sunday. And I think you were... Uh in the midst of thanking me. Well, yeah, I said, you know, I really, <laughs> I really needed some, some ice cream after, uh, after a, you know, a long, uh, couple weeks of, of, uh, you know, work that I've, that I've been doing, had a lot of editing, a lot of shooting, uh, this week with, uh, this week and last week with felt marketing. And, uh, it's, it's been, um, it, it's been a bit of a haul. So to have some delicious, you know, not very healthy calories, you know, <laughs> It's, 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 it's very welcoming to, uh, you know, to the soul. Well, just so you know, I don't normally wait for people to be recorded before uh, they thank me. And I don't usually ask them to thank me again, but I thought it was helpful because I think everybody knows what it's like to have one of those days, one of those weeks and ice cream for sure. Definitely can just make everything better. <laughs> even if only, even if only for a temporary fleeting Even if moment. it's just a little bit, yeah. You know, because unfortunately, the ice cream always melts. But if you can eat it quick enough, hey, you got a good time going. Mine is indeed melting. Um, we went across the street, got it. You had the luxury of actually eating it, and uh, I got mine last because it was a uh, brownie Sunday. So they uh, took a little bit longer to do that, and then we're trying to get back, and we wanted to eat it with you. So if you have your favorite sweet treat, whether it's ice cream or whether it's uh, pie or, or something else, a cookie, a brownie, go ahead and grab it, Cake. pull up a chair, and uh, join us for Sundays with Drew. I have got a brownie sundae with mud pie ice cream and pecans. With whipped cream and a cherry, and it's delicious, even though it's almost soup. Not quite soup. <laughs> I mean, um, ice cream soup is pretty good, too. If you're going to have soup. It might as well be ice cream. It might as well be ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, I'm the one who actually convinced Samuel to get the uh, the brownie variety of Sunday. I said, you know, he was he was debating between his choices, and, I, and he was like, you know, Drew, should I get the brownie Sunday? I said, you might as well. We came all the way here. So we got the brownie Sunday, all the way here. It's across the street, man. <laughs> well, 
you know, I have to, I have to, you know, dramatize a journey. You know, it's it's a long and arduous trip across, you know, the the vast and unforgiving wilds of Gauss Boulevard. And to be fair, I didn't really make it all that hard for you to convince me. You basically like looked in my direction, and I was like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> but it I is mean, mighty tasty. I mean, you know, you are a very willing, um, you mm-hmm. know, partner in bad decisions sometimes. <laughs> yes. You know, um, growing up, I'm sure you heard this. I'm sure a lot of people heard this. You know, who you hang out with kind of matters, and. Right, the uh, the uh, kind of the uh, kind of crowd you run with, the people you associate with, you know, generally, you know, ref- you you want to generally associate with people who reflect who you want to be. Mm-hmm. At least that's how you are supposed to, or at least you should. But I was just thinking that uh, those people that you pick, in some sense, I'm sure your parents, and I'm a parent too. But parents, we want our kids be around people that are always going to help them make the right decision. Well, I actually think all kids, all people make bad decisions. So it's finding the people <laughs> that make the right kind of bad decisions, the bad decisions you want to be able to make, like yeah. adding a brownie to your Sunday. <laughs> That's okay. But you know, to be fair, sometimes making those bad decisions when you're young with that particular group of people, you know, gives you valuable life experience, you know, <laughs> later on down the road. You know, it might not, it might not be a very, uh, if it doesn't permanently alter the course of your life. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, or ended prematurely or, you know, other various, uh, problems. <laughs> that was a lot. I just threw a whole lot in my mouth. I, I was about to say, man, you, you, you took a you <laughs> took quite a bite there. I'm trying to catch up with the melted ice cream. So, did you uh, read it all? That link I sent you about the the diet of worms thing, and I I neglected to open the um, the Wikipedia article. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> as it as I as I recall, uh, Amo texted texted it. Texted me at 10.30 p.m. last night, <laughs> which I don't know why he was up there later on a, on a Saturday night. You're welcome. But I was in the middle of some uh, uh, chaos at, at, at the house, and I had no time to read that. But um, please fill me in on, the, on today's historical significance. See, I sent you that mm-hmm. so that I could eat my ice cream. Now I have to talk. <laughs> so I no, it's fine. Say, well, here. Let so me today, pull it up right now, is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther basically in kind of like an official legal setting, mm-hmm. basically telling the Pope, um, not, not the Pope to his face, the Emperor, really, of the uh, Roman Empire that he was not going to retract all the things that he'd been saying. He was not going to, you know, essentially 
bow down to the power of the Pope and the emperor, the state. He was essentially saying, listen, I've written what I've written. And if you're not going to tell me where it's wrong, and you're not going to show me from the Bible, then here I stand. I can do no other is kind of the response, classic rallying cry. Uh, or what became the rallying cry maybe of the Reformation and and in fifteen seventeen, so fifteen seventeen is actually when he nails the ninety five theses to the church door in Wittenberg. Mm-hmm. That's when he kind of well, that's when it sort of starts. But he doesn't necessarily intend that. He's kind of doing what you would do whenever you wanted to have a debate, an academic mm-hmm. theological debate. Like he didn't. I, I I imagine that Luther didn't exactly expect to get thrown into the, you know, national spotlight, you know, perhaps the international, you know, theological stage. No, but he probably should have. I mean, like, I find myself with that same kind of thing sometimes where I find, I ask questions and I believe in things that I think are right and that God wants us to do certain things and, and be certain kind of people and and <laughs> just like just asking the question this many years, I should know that when you ask questions, it really pisses some people off. <laughs> some people do not like to have their um their base views questioned. Yeah. So that's what happened here. And also their um um identity questioned. You know, obviously Martin Luther has some extremely strong views of what he sees as, you know, the various deficiencies, corruptions, um, inadequacies that he saw in the Catholic Church at the time. Mm -hmm. When he started in 1517, those 95 theses, they had a lot to do with indulgences, which was a way that the Catholic Church was raising money at the time, particularly, I I think they were actually building St. Peter's Basilica and um, they had gotten into this big project and some kind of financial issues with, you know, the economy or the people who were financing at the time, they had to find a way to get money. Right. There are people that are way better uh, versed in the details of that, but it created a financial crunch, and the solution was, I, I think they had already been doing indulgences, but <clears throat> they really ratcheted it up big time because once they saw how big of a moneymaker it was, they just like, let's do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and Luther just realized how terrible that was. He was reading the Bible. He began to understand uh, the gospel according to the Bible, the the Christian faith according to the Bible, not according to, uh, uh, you know, the powerful people of the day. And he put these questions up, and and people started circulating them. Right. Because they're like, hmm, maybe this isn't quite what, you know, how, how it should be. Because if, if I recall correctly, the in, whole indulgence system was that if you – paid your local church X amount of money. They would give you a little writ of, you know, a little, little um, thing, a little certificate 
Mm-hmm. It was like, I hereby absolve you of all your sins up until this particular day. Something like that, right? Something like that. And But you could do it for people that have been long dead. Mm, I see. So they were milking it, not just from the current generation, but, hey, what about your grandfather? What about your great-grandfather? What if they're burning in hell? Some, <clears throat> some, some very bad dude. And they would drama- uh, dramatize it pretty significantly. Play off a of fear, I would imagine. It, it was a production in sometimes the middle of the town, right? Often, probably. And it scared the daylights out of people. And they forked over their money. And it wasn't the local church. You said something about the local church. I think they, uh, there was uh, one guy in particular who was kind of going around doing this. He was like the most effective at this. Uh, John Tetzel, I believe is his name. Oh, um, okay. I was wondering where that name came from. Because there's this Kickstarter that's doing a, <laughs> um, there's this Kickstarter that's doing um, various historical card decks, <laughs> like like custom decks of cards, playing cards, and they Seriously? have. Yes, I'm not joking. I was actually considering maybe getting this for you as a joke for like your birthday or or something like that. <laughs> but um, they have a deck of cards that has all of the relevant characters of like the early Christian Church, the Reformation. And I forget what the other time period is, but these this company, this this particular Kickstarter company, have a they have a a, a streak of making um, of making uh, historical uh, playing cards, like themed playing card decks. And one of the jo- one of the jokers is Tetzel. <laughs> well, then it was clearly. Put together by a Protestant of some kind. Clearly. Not a Catholic. Well, I mean. Because, uh, well, 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 although hopefully they agree he was a little bit of a charlatan. Well, I Also mean, at this point. Well, yeah. But, I mean, I, I believe the company very clearly states in, in, in their marketing liter- uh, <laughs> literature that, you know, we are not affiliated with any sort of, you know, um, religious organization. We're just, you know. We may attend a particular church, but. Like, we don't want it to come back on. <laughs> right. Like, like, like we, 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 we may po- poke fun at your, at your particular denomination, but hey, it's history. So I, I thought it was pretty interesting. They have very, very nicely. Um, you really looked at this in pretty extensive detail. If you know the name that I just well, randomly, well, one name, I mean, he's a pretty big character in what gets everything going here, but. Uh, I mean, I, I just happened to see an ad on Facebook, and I'm like, hmm, this looks very interesting. <laughs> and so I clicked through, and I was like, okay, this is kind of, uh, you know, uh, stuff that, you know, a particular thing that might interest a certain denom- uh They're clearly marketing to Lutherans. Well, Because well, why else would you have John Tetzel <laughs> as a joker? <laughs> like, like that's well, I mean, well, I mean, that's a statement. I well, think. well, they have a they have a deck that's specifically about the Reformation, and it, yeah, they have, they have a deck that's the that's the early Christian Church and the um, um, Reformation, and they're getting like one of the I forget what the big playing card manufacturing company is in in America, but they they've made a series of these things of different historical um, 
themes and they get like the big playing card manufacturing company so it's like really apparently really good high quality cards like they have all the nice finish like the nice finish on them nice heavy paper the artwork's really nice from from what i saw i was like actually bookmarked it because i was like hmm might want to get on this for for uh, <laughs> uh for amal june 27th it's my uh, birthday in case anyone's wondering june 27th <clears throat> i accept all kinds of gifts uh oh be careful what you wish for amal cash I mean, checks. I mean, you, you realize, I mean, you realize. <laughs> Playing cards about the Reformation, that, apparently, that, also. That ice cream gift cards? Ice cream, yes. Uh, <laughs> Slido Ice Cream Company. I mean, just. Saying. I don't even know. Do they do gift cards? I haven't I'm asked I'm sure them. they do. They, they, they have to. to. They have to. I mean, any mm. any good business has to have. They're a, pretty new, though. They're pretty new. Well, I mean, I come know. on, man. It's the 21st century. Like, I mean, gift it cards. It is, are, but, you know, give them a break. Actually, Creole Creamery, they don't really, or or it was like you couldn't buy it online. Ah, right. I think that's what it was. So maybe they have it, but you have to actually go to the store to get it. <clears throat> that's probably what it is. But but I was going to say, be careful what you wish for, because you know there's literally a place on online where you can buy a box of of uh, of cow excrement <laughs> and have it mailed to a person of your choice. <laughs> Not even joking. Not even joking. <laughs> Uh, please, no one. No, you, you know what you could do if if you want to do something for my birthday. Oh, you can also you can have it shipped to someone else yes. and take a video of it uh-huh. and let me watch the video. Mm-hmm. But I'd really rather not have and you can a also, package full of cow excrement yes, arrive at my doorstep. Yes, and you can also have them shipped an entire <laughs> box of glitter that's spring loaded. That's you know a nice evil. You open it and it just gets yes. glitter everywhere and mm-hmm. you can't get it out. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe when you move 30 years from now, it'll be out of the house or, mm-hmm. you know. Or just never. You know, just always. Probably be. never, but yeah. So somehow <laughs> we wound up with cow <laughs> excrement, but I think we got started with the Reformation. Yeah, we got started with, with, with the Reformation, and then I got off on a tangent of like, because <laughs> rather, like, I just, I just saw it like, you know, because Facebook, like, I don't understand Facebook's ad algorithm, okay? And I work for a marketing company. <laughs> So, but are you sure you want to be saying this publicly? Like, I don't know. No, well, but 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 in my defense, I only do the video side. That's true. The rest of the, the rest of the people, the rest of the people that I work for, are very good at at doing, at targeting. You know, the things we do for our clients. But it's sometimes I just get the most random ads on Facebook, or just stuff that I never thought I'd ever look at. So here's my theory behind that. Uh huh. Because I know what you're talking about. Right. And I think what's actually happening is they are listening. Well, they also track so, all your Google searches. Because, like, as soon as I started looking up, say, uh, motorcycle parts, guess what? Every single ad is. Well, that's all. obvious. I think everybody kind of has had that well, yeah, experience. Yeah, everybody's got that, yeah. But there are times where I have not searched for anything even mm-hmm. remotely close to what's coming up. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have a direct correlation to who I who I am, what my profile is. Like, mm-hmm. like there are things that pop up every now and then. That, you know, they obviously know I'm I do podcasts, so I get podcast stuff in there. They they obviously know I'm a pastor from that and other things. And they put this like life coaching and public speaking gig. Like, so they're targeting people that right. do that stuff already. But like, say, if you had a conversation with your wife, like say a week ago about say, Hey, exactly. Uh, I think we might need a new washing machine. And then it's in there. Bingo. That's why I'm saying. So if you have your phone sitting here in this room and we're talking about 
Luther or, or the Reformation or something like that. And I don't know that we have, but um, someone maybe, mm-hmm. that thing is listening. Oh, for sure. Anybody that doesn't believe that at this point is delusional because it's, it's happening. <laughs> like it's happened at least three different times that my wife and I have noticed we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. We're like going to bed. We're mm-hmm. in bed. We're like five minutes away from falling asleep. Right. And then we we say, oh, yeah, we got to do this. We got to talk about that. And, okay, well, tomorrow, but we got to figure that out. Wh- whatever it is. And then all of a sudden it's in in the news feed. Every time. Every time. I mean, I think I think we just need to accept our super intelligent AI overlord to, at this point. <laughs> we just have to accept it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess I I don't know. That's a, that's a bigger topic. That's, that's, Not, a, that's a way bigger topic than we have time for today. I I know a little bit about the Reformation. I, well, I don't I mean, know I, hardly I, anything about AI. And well, I mean, I, I mean, you you know, you, you went to seminary school, specifically a Lutheran seminary school. So I would assume you know quite a lot about the yeah, Reformation I, of the Christian faith. Yeah, <clears throat> but there are guys that know a lot more than I do. So. Well, sure. You spend, you know, you can spend your entire life studying the Civil War, and then become somebody like Shelby Foot, you know, the Mississippi historian, Tennessee or Mississippi, I forget who, but yeah, he has like a literal like eighteen volume history of the Civil War from wow. beginning to finish, and each of his books is like nine hundred pages long. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but it's also pretty cool. So that's not me. No, but, but I, I think people is more my, you know, so. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't grow up in the church and I didn't need like the particular denomination that I'm in. I I was confirmed in a Lutheran church, but it wasn't this kind of Lutheran. So there's right, a bunch there's of different, different Lutherans in America. There's right, like right. probably more Lutheran denominations than there are Lutherans in the world. <laughs> you know, it's it's quite possible. I mean, we could we could have a <clears throat> long conversation about the about the fractionality of of you know American um, Christianity. Well, I mean, that's uh, it. All gets its start with Luther and and this moment. Mm-hmm. It the uh, the uh, the uh, firecracker because the the. 95 Theses, you know, was kind of just like some little guy in the middle of nowhere said a a bunch of things, wrote it down, put it on a door. Right. But it was obviously a time that was ripe for change Mm -hmm. and which actually has a lot of implications for why we're doing what we're doing right now. I can talk about that. Um, But he put those things up and it just went nuts. And it obviously really ticked off those in in power. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until this date, three and a half years later, April 18th, 1521, when it actually, like, the rubber meets the road and there is no turning back. Like, he, by, by doing what he did, he wound up, you know, he's putting his life on the line. And he got put on trial, essentially. Well, that's essentially what this is. They, they, mm-hmm. They're... Saying, okay, you wrote all this stuff. Some of it's really nasty about the Pope. <clears throat> Luther had a way with words. You should read him. There's a Luther insult generator out there on the internet. <clears throat> and it just takes things from his writings. Because uh-huh. he's just such a colorful character. Salty guy. Mm. <laughs> like, 
You no, know, I, I also I also love the Latin insult generators. They they are quite delightful. <laughs> quite <laughs> I delightful. That. I haven't yes. seen that. Yeah, don't 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 show that one to your children. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I did not realize that. Well, well, and Luther, some of them, I don't know if they're that bad, but. Well, I mean, like most, you most bag of, of stuff is pretty clean. Bag too. of excrement, something like that. Like, yeah. Take a bag of excrement and wrap it around your neck or something like. Oh. You should wear it as a. As a uh, necktie or Yeah, you'll look better. You'll smell better than. Like something weird like that. I remember right. getting one of those one time. You know, it's, it's you know, slight, slight aside, but it's very interesting how the English language has changed since even that short time ago. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. But anyway, that's a. Another fork. I'm, I'm, I'm resisting the temptation. Oh, I know. Me, me too. Me too. Because <clears throat> there's stuff we could say about that, but, but Luther is really in this place where he could go back to kind of life as normal. If he could very easily just say, "Oh, um, um, I'm sorry. I, I, I um, I said what? Uh, you've got the wrong guy. Um, I'm like, you know, I, 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 you know, hereby reject everything. I, I put on a door." But now he's staring down not only the Pope, but also Ch- Charles V of the Holy Roman Empire, which, you know, is neither holy nor Roman at this <laughs> point in time. It's actually German, um, which is very interesting point in history here. Yeah, there's a lot. And that's really the only reason why I think he even gets this opportunity, because mm-hmm. otherwise they would have just had him killed. Oh, for sure. But there was some, and, and I'm not sure if I get all the details right, but... <clears throat> Germany wasn't really like a nation. It's all these different states. Mm-hmm. And the state that he happened to be in was led by a prince who happened to be a uh, an elector. Mm. So he was and, um, a prince that actually to got to elect who the, the emperor. The yes. emperor was. Because Germany was a federation, technically, at the time. With For a, a long of, time. Like, city-states, yeah. Really, up like, until like World War One. Mm-hmm. Um, Bavaria, for example, that's its own separate, its own, yeah. own separate thing. Uh, um, Austria-Hung, like, well, uh, Austria, mm-hmm. you know, separate, separate bit of all that. I mean, I'm not very familiar with my yeah, you know, I don't, pre-World War One, you know, <clears throat> continental history, but it's it's a very wild time. It is, and it it just so happens to be where this guy actually feels like he's got enough sway that he can you know, not hand him over and demand some and rights for his German citizen person, kind of, his, uh, his professor, his three, school, his, you know, so he's kind of shielding him gotcha. and protecting him and allows this, again, this event to even take place that he can sort of get a chance to defend himself. But really when they get there, he's not really being asked to defend himself. Right. If, if you pull up, you can find it online. You can find the whole speech. He actually goes on the 17th and they're looking for an answer. And he kind of says, uh, give me a night to sleep on it. And I forget the exact circumstances of how that happens, but he says, give me a night to sleep on it. They say, okay, but you're coming in tomorrow and you're going to give us an answer. So he starts a response and it's actually, when you read it, he's still being very respectful deferential and he's trying to basically tell them where to go without being a jerk about it. <laughs> right. But he's like, listen, you know, I can't recant. I can't 
renounce all of this stuff because even my enemies say that some of it's really good. And, you know, a lot of it is 100% in line with exactly what the Pope is teaching. So if you tell me to do that, I'm going against what you, what you, what you the Pope. You're said. incriminating me, right? You're like, you're forcing me to kind of incriminate myself. Right. But <clears throat> yeah, then there are these other things where there's disagreement and uh, why can't we talk about it? You know, tell me what is wrong. Show me. I'm willing to be shown. Show me from scripture, from the Bible, and and show me from reason, general, basic human reason. Make an argument, prove it to me, and then you got me. Right. But of course they can't because <laughs> what he's actually done is he's gone back to the early church fathers from like a thousand years or more before that. He's reading people like Augustine and and finding out, wait a second, he's Catholic. He I'm an Augustinian monk. So he's reading a lot of Augustine. He's, you know, Augustine's a big guy for them. And I'm finding him say that you are saved by grace. <laughs> and that the works that we do, while they're good and important and helpful, they're not what save us. Jesus saves us totally. <clears throat> Nothing else. And he, he, again, he just finds himself in this situation. He's really upsetting the power structure. And if he recants, you know, I don't know that, you know, you've seen this in movies where, hey, if you tell me this, well, I think we were watching uh, my, at home, my son and wife and I, we were watching The Patriot. And there's this scene where. Is that a they, Mel Gibson? That's the Mel Gibson one from like 20 years ago yeah. or so. Mm -hmm. American Revolutionary War. Right. And uh, they show up in this one village and they herd everybody, British soldiers herd everybody into this one church. And they're basically like, hey, we know you've been aiding and abetting an enemy of the state, Mel Gibson's character. Right. And uh, we want to know where he is or else, basically, right? Working. <clears throat> right. And most of the people refuse to say anything. And then finally, one guy says, okay, he's over by this place. And then, oh, thank you so much. And then they lock him in the church and they burn them alive. So even if you give them what they want, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be okay. That doesn't necessarily guarantee you a good outcome. Exactly. So so what is Luther going to do? I don't know. Right. Even if he caved, would that have really been the end of it for him? Um, probably not. So he stood by his guns, and then he wound up getting protected. He he got, was granted safe passage to and from this. And then there's a whole big story about how he gets kidnapped basically by his prince, you know, so that the prince doesn't do it officially, but he hires people he, or he something. He kind of uses his guys <clears throat> under, and under he, the auspices of, of his protection. And then, oh, we don't know where he is. And then he has him hiding out somewhere. So so he's given a chance. And then when he's there, he translates the Bible into German, the people's language, so they can read it themselves. And Right, because for the longest time, <clears throat> the, the Bible was the only domain of the priest because it was written all in Latin, if I remember correctly, yeah. right? Um, well... Greek originally, and then at some point it becomes the New Testament, at least Greek. Right. And then it becomes Latin at one point. I forget exactly when that is, but that's hundreds of years later, at least. Right. And then, yes, how many people know Latin, the educated, the priests. And uh, it, it really hasn't always been that way, right? So if you go back far enough... It was written in Greek specifically so that the people that understood the language of the day could read it. Right. 
Exactly. And, and then when it was put into Latin, it was so that the people could, who, I mean, that was the language of the day at some point, so that they could, uh, well, I mean, could it read was, it. It was, con- it was considered, you know, the, the classical learned language. Mm-hmm. Like if you were, if you were, you know, had any sort of higher education training, if you were a monk or any, any person who received, you know, hired in like, oh, I don't know what we consider maybe fifth grade education at that time, mm-hmm. you learned Latin. Yep. My kids are actually learning Latin now. Maybe we're crazy, but it's, uh, well, I mean, at the very least, if you just know the prefix, prefixes and suffixes that come from Latin base roots, then you helps you a lot. Law, medicine, and then a lot of these other, the romance languages, mm-hmm. right? But uh, yeah, the the language of the people, that's what it was in originally. Which, and I which wasn't just priests. But just almost just as big as the invention of the printing press. Yeah, he. Which was right around the same time. Which leads to all this really being possible. Right? Yep, exactly. So uh, Luther is doing that, he, he, translating it into German, but also bringing it to them and telling them, here's what it actually says. Like, I'm not just going off of what this person said about what this person said about what this person said about I mean, what this person said about the Bible. I mean, we could, reading the Bible. We could have an argument about, you know, the various, you know, how the Bible's been translated and edited and cut up and 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 we you know, could done, but done things but there, but yes there's but, not really a whole lot there i know you may think that there is but there's really not there's there's um but it, when they found the dead sea scrolls in was it 1940s 1947 something like that right like 30s 40s yeah they found an isaiah manuscript the the oldest manuscript the prophet isaiah old testament mm-hmm. hebrew bible yes and the most recent one they had had before that was like a thousand years, right? So they had now one from BC. I don't know how long, hundred BC, something like that. And then eleven hundred AD. That was the oldest. That was the gap between what was the oldest and what now was the oldest with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And those manuscripts were essentially identical, which is pretty cool. Uh, there were some minor things that are different. There were obviously a lot of, you know, spelling errors and things like that and maybe missing a word here or there. But the content of it was essentially the same. Right. So But the point but the point where you're just you're kinda of getting to here is that Luther was just happened to be the right man at the right time. Yeah, right man at the right time. And really why I thought about this for us was obviously it's Today is the anniversary of this 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. Which is, which the name itself is very interesting. Like, you know, like the Diet of Worms. Yes. Which, which you know, when you realize that they named historical events for the places where they happened. Mm-hmm. Like the famous battles of like the um, invasion of France by England. You know, oh, what's the, um, um, the Battle of Agincourt. Right, yeah. like they like they they name their battles after a place or a river or a thing, <laughs> and then it leaves all of us completely confused because you know they all have those places aren't yeah they're different names now right right well this uh, actually I think it happened multiple times in this particular place where they had this kind of a gathering mm-hmm. uh, for similar purposes I mean there's a lot more that went on than just Luther oh for sure but Luther was a key piece that made it memorable for sure. But one of the reasons I was thinking about it was because um, 
I've heard this a lot from a lot of different people that usually people that reject Christianity usually do it for reasons that aren't what Christianity actually is. So they're rejecting a, a fictitious religion, I guess, if that makes sense. And I think this event puts up the, this uh, stark contrast to different religions, really. And that's not to say that Catholics aren't really Christians or anything like that uh, today. But there were, at that time, I mean, this was pretty awful, you know, uh, really, really, really awful. I, I think we've come a long way. Pope Francis has, I believe, a bust of Luther now somewhere in the Vatican. That is very interesting. Yeah, he's he's a decent guy. That's clearly. <laughs> <laughs> if well, you let I mean, Luther in, you know. Well, I mean, of course you're you know you're a Lutheran. You would you would like to see you know a a a a uh, a uh, physical depiction of the you know essentially founder of. Yeah, know. but I mean, Luther but, is kind of a neat guy, but I'm I'm Christian, right? I'm. Am I a Lutheran? I'm Lutheran trained. Yes. Uh, but that is, doesn't put you in one pigeonhole. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I actually think there are Lutherans, people that call themselves Lutheran, church bodies that call themselves Lutheran that aren't really all that Lutheran. <laughs> you know, like well, clearly I mean, you haven't read a lot of his stuff. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of denominations and organizations that call themselves things when they are not always what they seem. Yeah. And and the way things start out isn't necessarily what they become. It's like this you know, this creep of institutionalism. Like as soon as you organize something, all of these forces are now moving in a particular direction whether you want it to or not. It's kind of like when you take a small family-run company and mm-hmm. you grow and you scale that company and it becomes, you know, Say you got several stores now. You've got you know distribution like across the East Coast of the United States or whatever, and you realize, oh, we can incorporate now. We can have a board of directors. We can like have shareholders. We can have a you know an IPO. We can you know yeah. raise a bunch of money and like do more of a thing. But then a lot of times you find that it that that uh, transition drains the soul out of what made the initial <laughs> company really special in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And so I actually think Christianity, you know, Christians, Christian churches, we need to be a part of this like perpetual rebirth. Like we can't, we have to constantly fight this institutionalism because it, it robs the faith of what actually makes it, so special and unique because if, if if it's because if you do the performative thing just because it's the thing you do because that's the way it is you know like if it's if it's into if it's institutionalism for the sake of institutionalism then you know mm-hmm. what really are you doing well because when you well I mean, organize something incorporate something you create a uh, you know a, like a 501c3 right it's, organization it's with articles of incorporation entity. Which becomes like its own living thing. Right. And so you, as a part of a church that is not got any articles of incorporation, 
right? Like the church is really just the people who believe in Jesus. Right. And if you begin to organize and you become part of these article, you know, articles of incorporation, 501c3 documents, you put a name on and you get a building, all this other kind of stuff. Now there's suddenly this need or this urge to preserve itself. Mm-hmm. Because like, you're like, oh, we have a prop, you know, we, we've got, we got to take care of this. We got to take care to of pay that. And people to pay. And, you know, we got, you know, you know, mission trips we need to fund and, you know, all the, you know, various trappings of, yep. of, of, of that. And so the way I've come to look at it, and there are some books that talk about this, but essentially if the church is going to be institutionalized, and I guess you could take that a couple of different ways, but maybe it should be institutionalized in some respect. But if you're going to institutionalize a Christian community, in order for it to remain a Christian community, you have to actually act in ways that seem on the surface to be working against the best interests of the institution. Because that's actually what makes Christianity what it is. It's it's a giving of self. It's Jesus giving all of himself for us. Uh, you know, believers, right, Christians, that's what we believe. So, so if we set up an organization with this guy as the head of the organization, really, I mean, yes, we have like a pastor and we have all these other people, but ultimately Jesus is supposed to be the one running this show, right. the show. Uh, you know, then it has to be an organization that is constantly giving of itself. Which, you know, it's, that is a very hard act to follow. <laughs> Which, you know, because if, yes, if, if you think about it, you know, with, you know, if you take the crucifixion of Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you take that at face value and believe in it for, you know, that act for what it is, it, that is the most unselfish thing that any human on record has probably ever done. Mm-hmm. And people are selfish, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. P- people are, you know, ultimately quite selfish individuals sometimes. I mean, they're, you know, not everybody and not all the time, mm-hmm. but we are innately designed and built mentally to be self-preserving. Aside from yeah. those of us well, who, To you put know, it mildly. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Aside, yeah. from, aside from those of us who have, you know, certain death wishes on, you know, uh, dirt bikes, uh, you know, <laughs> is that things, where you're going? Things, well, your new well, dirt bike, you know, any, anything that, you know, in, induces adrenaline and speed. Yes. <laughs> well, but how, but how do we get to dirt bikes from Jesus and the crucifixion? You were, no, we know, but we were going off of, you know, the, the most unselfish act, unselfish, which, I believe, okay. which, so, I, which I believe you've even said that in your own sermon about Easter. Okay. Right. What did I say? Well, you know, like, but, but that's, but <laughs> it must've been good. Just tell me what it was. Well, I mean, I'm not sure if you even said it's verbatim, but like, that's the general theme of almost every single, you know, East, you know, every single, you know, day of the crucifixion sermon is that mm-hmm. it's the most unselfish act that's ever been done yeah. for the, you know, you know, quote unquote, unwashed masses of humanity mm-hmm. who, you know, receive the grace of, of, you know, Jesus Christ through, you know, you know, taking your sins through that, you know, gift mm-hmm. of, gift of blood and life. Yeah. Right. But, um, but interestingly enough, if you don't believe that, 
about what he does. Right. Like his, like that his death means something. If you don't believe that, then he's just another another crazy revolutionary who got caught. Right. Right. Another guy trying to storm the Capitol that just got, you know, arrested and thrown in jail. Right. Right. I mean, that's basically what it is. Some revolutionary. Right. It's not unselfish. It's not, um, sacrificial it's not a giving of anything it's you're an idiot who just didn't know when to shut up well ultimately i mean, I mean unless it actually means something like in, which in, case, in the context of what you know you know because like you could take the the guy who got arrested at the capitol in the context of you know what those people thought and believed that they were doing you know that seems like you know the 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 just and the just and powerful thing to do. You know you're mm-hmm. taking the fight to the the oppressor. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, see, it's it, in the context of you know what what your what your what your you know belief system is. But interestingly enough, Jesus allowed the oppressor to oppress him, right? So like it it was this. Well, I mean, he, hey, you're gonna you're I mean, gonna do he, this. That's okay with me. I mean, if you take the Bible and, you know, Jesus said, like, you know, I know all the things that are going to happen to me way mm-hmm. before anybody else had even accepted the idea that he was going to be betrayed, put on a cross, be killed, you know. Yeah. So, again, there's two versions of Christianity. Mm-hmm. There's the Jesus version. Right. And then there's whatever we kind of turn it into. Which is, you know, kind of commercialized, institutionalized. Well, and let's be honest, we all do it to a degree, right? So even I, I have far more of a vested interest in the preservation of the institution because that's how I make my money, right? I mean, I'm paid to be of course, a pastor, a religious professional, a spiritual advisor. Uh, sure. Which, I, I mean, I don't have a problem with that, but I, there are a lot of problems that come up as a result of that, right? So, like, you have people that essentially pay your salary, right? I mean, if <laughs> if somebody decides or a group of people decide, well, I'm not going to give my money here anymore because of this, that, or the other thing, well, now you're kind of screwed, right? I mean, okay, right. what do we do now, guys? I think that far too many pastors and church folks are more afraid of that than they are afraid of doing something contrary to God's will. Right. So like, and again, I understand that maybe you don't think like this about stuff, but like if I have something or if the church has something and and we go, you know what, we're pretty sure God wants us to do this, but that's really scary. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try and protect what I have. Mm -hmm. That doesn't usually go well. I mean, it, I mean, if it, yeah, if, if you do something that seems to be in the best business interest or the best, like, you know, like general interest of the, of the body politic. It, you could get a lot of people that say, Hey, that was the right decision. Right. But if you read the Bible. <laughs> right. And you study Jesus, mm-hmm. you go, well, shouldn't we be okay with sacrificing that? Like, what if that it it was that? Mm-hmm. What if we make this decision? We try to do what we believe is the right thing, even though it's going to cost us something. I think the Bible is pretty clear that those things usually work out in your favor in the end. Maybe not 
immediately. Right. It's not like a, you know, you put in $10, you get out $20. It's not like a, an immediate kind of obvious thing. But it's like, if you, but if you, you know, if you stand by what you believe in and practice what you believe in, you know, and, you know, then generally, you know, going by usually the general moral principles that, you know, Christians have, that generally leads to, you know, decent people. Would you say that from either your personal perspective or from the perspective of people that you think might think like you being maybe outside the church, although for a guy who's outside the church, you're inside the church a lot, but that's, I I mean, because you work here (laughs) sort of with a, you know, right. But do you think that part of what drives people away, keeps people away is that we don't look as much like Jesus that we don't seem to like, you know, so in a sense, wow, it would be really nice if there really was a Jesus and there were really were people that followed what Jesus taught. But, you know, I don't see those kinds of people anywhere. And so I'm not really going to go and get, go to a church because the church is not a place where I'm going to find people that are acting like Jesus. I believe that there is some of that. You know, I believe that's part of it. I mean, you know, of course I can't speak for everybody, I think what I think what drives people away from the church more than than you know the obvious hypocrisy that we see from you know um, you know people you know Sunday Christians who profess what they you know they say they believe in but you know act a complete opposite way you know every other day of the week I mean there there will always be those kind of those kinds of people no matter where you go no matter who they are people are people right exactly they're all terrible <laughs> right but i think for some people it's more personal reasons like more like interactions with people within the church that drives them away it's um they uh don't you know they don't feel that you know the meaningfulness for them is kind of lost you know, that's kind of where I kind of come from. Um, the so say that again. The meaning, like um, when, like when you you don't um, have to expand on it. If you remember what you said, you could just say it. But it sounds like maybe you don't remember. What you said. Well, it's. <laughs> well, I, I just want to make sure I got it right. That's yeah. Right. Well, like the 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 um the idea that you have or that you will receive you know, eternal salvation by, you know, um, believing in Jesus and believing in the resurrection and that, you know, that you will get that eternal life in the end. And, you know, it, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. (laughs) It's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's just like, at least for me Personally, it's like I do, I, I, um, that doesn't really, um, it doesn't, I don't really care so much about that. Yeah. And, and I don't mean. You talked about that before, I think. Yeah. And it's like, I don't mean to make it sound like, you know, it's that that's not important to anybody else, which absolutely it is. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I don't know. Well, I, I. I think it's fair, and I I think people are looking for Christians to care 
as much about this world as they think about the next world. Right. Right. And, and they don't see that. But I would also say that if this world is all you have, well, of course you're going to care an awful lot more about this world. For sure. Right. Right. Now, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't something afterward. No, of course I think uh, the thing about the early Christians was that as much as they cared about this next world, this next life, this next era, this next age, as much as they cared about that, that actually caused them to care even more about this one. Because, you know, because you care about, you know, your eventual judgment. Well, no, not, not even that. <clears throat> it, uh, you know, if you care about this world because it's all you got, and, and I'm not, I'm just saying, it's kind of what you're saying, right, I think. Right. I'm not trying to make a judgment about, based yeah, on that. But, but if that's all you've got, you know, you definitely have to take care of it. Uh, but if... And and I'll be honest, that is ultimately kind of a selfish viewpoint on on my end. Yeah. These well, kind of things. Yeah. You know, and I do try very hard to be mindful and attentive and, you know, present with all the people I interact with every day. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I'm saying that because, you know, you know, Jesus calls Christians to, you know, um, be servants of the people in their neighborhoods, in their communities, you know, to help those in need, to, you know, do all the things. But it's it's really hard for people to make that kind of effort. It is. <laughs> and not just, you know, and like, and people a lot of times think, oh, it's just, you know, throw money at the problem, kind of solving it, right? Common American response, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what, you know, coming from my background, I was raised in Methodist Church, you know, we always say, you know, it's your, it's your what is it, your time, your, your talents, your gifts, and your service. Something like that. Yeah, it's pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that kind of stuck out to me because it also, you know, in the Boy Scouts, we have, we take a lot of, um, we put a lot of emphasis on like, you know, whatever you are able to do, you know, do your best to be good at it. And use that to, you know, to help your, your, your fellow scout, your, your fellow man in, in whatever way you can. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't, you know, they don't exactly expect you to be, you know, a lifesaver every time somebody gets in a car wreck. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, you can't. No, 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 of course not. Can't save the world every day. Oh, no. But, you know, it's, that's the whole driving force behind, you know, like the do a good, do a good, good turn, turn daily, daily thing. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, what can you do in a small way that impacts your fellow human in a positive manner? that will hopefully carry that forward because mm-hmm. the more people who do little positive things like that can hopefully really change, have a yeah. positive effect on society as a whole. So, and that was a very long around. Yeah. I'm like way. trying to figure out how we got here and you we started. With, I thought we're going with, um, you know, that thought it was selfish maybe to care about this world or maybe no, no, are no, you I'm going somewhere? it's selfish one thing was is selfish on my end to say that i don't care about the afterlife oh okay that's what i mean it's it's well, i don't it, know it, if that's selfish if you don't believe that it's there it's you know well and why would you and, and maybe it is selfish in this sense because I, I you you find this there's a quote somewhere i think it's uh uh, Algis Huxley, mm-hmm. where he talks about, 
you know, why did I try to disprove Christianity? Why did I not ultimately want it to be true? Meaning, and, and one of the things, the way this gets used, this quote is basically to say that everyone has a bias. Mm-hmm. Like you either want Christianity to be true potentially because there are all these societal benefits, family benefits or whatever. Like, so you kind of want it to be true. Social pressure. But then the same thing, there are plenty of subjective things that come into play when you're deciding not to, Mm -hmm. you know, especially now more and more people are raising their kids to have no belief, which is a set of beliefs too. You know, like you're actually training your kids to be like you, Right. Even though you're under this guise of, well, I'm not going to oppress my kid. Well, you totally are. <laughs> like, you really are. And what if you're wrong? Like, you just screwed them out of a, an awful lot of uh, opportunity for this kind of stuff. But I think what he was saying is that this guy, was he wanted there to be no God so that he could have sex with whoever he wanted, so that he could do whatever he wanted, so that he didn't feel like he had some kind of standard for living and uh you know well, that's a you know we that's recall, a selfish where we where we call those people um anarchists and well and also uh, and also let's see, he's not necessarily an anarchist for well no not so anarchists but we you know we can call his uh what's the thing not 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 a libertarian but um you, yeah the idea like uh just you know what is what is good for me is 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 good enough for everybody else people who want to be free in the common sense of the age. Right. right? No restrictions, no rules. As long as I'm not hurting anyone else, I don't want right. to hear you complain about it. Right. You know, which, which you can make the argument that that's not actually free. Um, you, you might think it is, but um, so how do we get there again? <laughs> I, I don't so know. So the right selfishness. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I think Christians, if we were to care more about this world, and I think part of this has to, it's a theological thing that really comes out of some of the, not Luther so much, but some of the reformers that come after him. That So there's the Reformation, and then there's what uh, historians call the Radical Reformation. Mm-hmm. So the folks that kind of go way off the deep end in some ways. Uh, there's There's Luther, there's Calvin, both of those guys gained widespread acceptance in Europe and uh, and do a lot of good things, and they actually agree on a lot more than they disagree on. But then you have didn't, the guys that come after him. Didn't, that didn't Calvinism kind of spawn Methodism, if I remember correctly? Because like there's John, there's John Calvin, and then well, he's a he's a reformed. And there's Wesley comes along, and there's somewhere I I do not know my Wesley comes later, you know, right. uh, hundred a couple hundred years later. Right, but they are because, part of I, that because that was the big, um, like the American, um, like awakening mm-hmm. stage, Great, right? awakening. Yeah, yeah. That, that's Methodism is big, right? Big part of that in this country, right? But what those theologians come to after Luther and Calvin, there's a, and I think it has a lot to do with the culture of the time too. And I'm not an expert on this, but there begins to be this theology that develops and it may even be later than that like it might be late 18th 19th century where christians are starting to talk more about heaven instead of resurrection they're talking more about where you go when you die instead of what the bible from the very beginning really talks about 
has the hope of a Christian, a Jew. And that hope is that not that God is going to burn this place up and we're going to go off to some floaty place where our souls are, but that actually what God shows us in Jesus and particularly in his resurrection uh, from Easter, which we just celebrated, is that he actually cares a lot about stuff like bodies, like the earth, the planet, this world, so much so that he's not really going to just do away with it. He's actually going to redeem it and transform it into something that's not broken anymore. Which, you know, although it would be quite an interesting um, quite an inter- interesting bit of entertainment to literally see an entire planet get blown up. And, uh, <laughs> well, that's what Star Wars is for. Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we just watched that with... Uh, my youngest is starting to get into Star Wars, so we watched you know, New it, Hope and uh, Empire Strikes Back. So I got to see the uh, not only Alderaan blow up, but also the Death Star, which is also kind of like a planet explode. Yes, which you know, <laughs> I, I like. I've always like there's 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 a great XKCD comic. I think it's, I think XK, XKCD has a comic about this. Um, he's a he's a great internet like comic artist. Very simple stuff, but he you know. Um, I think he has a comic about, you know, the engineers working on like the Death Star Mark II or whatever, or no, like they're creating the original Death Star and, and then like afterwards the thing blows up and you're like, dude, how did you like not see this coming? <laughs> and he's like, bruh, like, come on. Like it was, it's like, we have a proton torpedo, but it's like, it's being like levit, you know, being directed by the force through this like 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 look dude it's the death star okay like you have like a bazillion people living in this thing it's gotta have an exhaust port for, for heat <laughs> like you just has to so yeah. like what do you want me to do if we don't have this yeah so it's like i'm sorry man like i, I put, try to put this in like the most inconspicuous place place possible when you got luke skywalker come up with the force <laughs> what do you want me to do man yeah yeah, but it's and also the the um the the first few Star Wars movies are very interesting for their like pre really their their pre good CGI effects. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you can you can tell like it was kind of rough because <laughs> forget- I'm actually you know as I'm watching these again, they really did a pretty good job. I mean, for, there's for like little glitches and stuff here and there, like with the lightsabers. Every time you notice, I mean, I notice it. It's really pretty good. You know, for what they had to work with. Nothing. I, they had nothing to work with. Well, I mean, with. until they had a massive budget later on in, in the in the series. Yeah. But uh, it's like... But those movies sucked. <laughs> true. <laughs> right? So you can have all the CGI in the world, all the money in the world, and true. it can still suck. But I think for me, the thing that I love most about the OG Star Wars trilogy is the models, the spaceship models. Yeah. And like all like the, you know, like when you when you watch the big trench fly through, like, you know, that scene where to have like the, you know, the, 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 you know, to dodge and all of a, you know, stuff. where they're going to blow up the death star, right? That right. what you're talking about yeah. with the X wings and the yeah. tie fighters. Yeah. That is all a scale model shot in miniature. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> all like, of it is like, basically. Like, yeah. All of it basically. Yeah. And like you realize, and sorry, I'm going off on a completely nerd tangent right now. It's okay. But, I said Star Wars. But, it's my fault. But this, <laughs> that was like the first like ever like motion capture like like um like animated motion capture with like scale stuff done to that extent. It's like it's mind blowing. Like when you like um uh, Adam Savage, you know the guy who was on Mythbusters. 
Yeah. He worked on some of those models. Wow. Well, I mean, he worked on the team that made the models. And it's like... That's that's, uh, still significant. That's still pretty pretty cool. And it's like, when you realize that they took, like, you know, they they called it kit bashing back in the day. You would... like, Like, no joke. You would take, like the bits and pieces and scraps and spare parts out of like tons and tons of different model kits for like tanks and planes and cars and stuff. And that's what they built those models out of. Well, when you think about that, it, it is kind of what it looks like. Well, right. <laughs> it's but, just this random. Right. But I love the artistry of that. Like that is just amazing. And like you just like just the time and the skill and the care and the attention. Well, and frankly, like that is what Christians should be about. Uh, like There we go. We, now we're so, back around. Yeah, so there's actually a book that talks about this whole idea that I'm trying to get at, which mm-hmm. where the church for a long time is basically, you know, distracted with this heaven idea. Mm-hmm. Not that there isn't one and not that there isn't uh, a place where people go when they die to be with Jesus in heaven, right? I'm not saying that. Right. I'm saying that the ultimate hope is that Jesus actually comes back. Heaven actually is reunited with earth. Mm-hmm. God and people are, are reunited together in a real physical bodily way, an imminent presence kind of thing. Um, and and everything just gets transformed. It's all perfect and all that kind of stuff. That's what we see at Easter. Jesus enters in as uh, God in the flesh, and then he dies, but then he rises again. And, and scares it's like, the crap out of Mary Magdalene. Oh, well, a lot of people, they're like, what is going on here, right? right. But, but so Jesus is the beginning. He's what the Bible actually says is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he's the first one to come back to life in this bodily repurposed bodily form right like not mm-hmm. the scraps like but like a glorified body is what the bible talks about it right um with that though the bible doesn't say therefore don't worry about this place actually the bible says worry about this place like this place matters this is god's creation we look at stuff and we go Oh man, this is just physical stuff. It's terrible. It's awful. It's bad. Our joints hurt. Our, you know, we got all kinds of aches and pains and stuff. And I just can't wait to get rid of. It. No, don't you realize God made that from scratch? Like everything we make, is made with molecules that He created, with forces that He makes exist. Right? I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, maybe off the air, just about, like it's amazing that most matter is actually like ninety eight percent. Open space. Empty space. Empty yes. space. Just totally, there's nothing there. And yet somehow we're here. Like, how it, does that happen? It's, it's which in, in, in the mind-bending part about it, if you take like, you know, like physics, when you touch something, like according to physics, you're not even touching a thing at all. Yeah. Like when it comes, if you actually like think about it in the terms of like how much empty space is in mass, it's a matter. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, so imagine the future mm-hmm. is like there's less space base and more substance like there's actually something missing now that's going to be present then but so jesus dies and rises and this is where i was going when you're talking about the repurposing of like model parts for the star wars things like there is a connection here i promise but like people christians should be people of hope people that look at things that aren't working that seem useless that seem lifeless and dead and turn them into something right i mean like that's Mm -hmm. so for example I mentioned this, I was sitting next to the mayor of Slidell in a meeting on the National Day of Prayer 
uh, this past week on Thursday. And he was talking about some of the things going on in the city and some hopes and plans for a variety of projects. And then I said, well, you know, hey, and then they talked about, of course, all the eyesores, right? Like all the empty buildings. Well, people always bring up the negatives first. Well, he, he wasn't necessarily doing that. Oh, no, but it made me like in, like in, in general. It, it kind of came up, but I, I saw it as an opportunity like, hey, Mr. Mayor. And we got sidetracked because we were in a meeting on something else. But I said, you know, is there a place for us, the faith community, to take some of these buildings that have gone into disrepair that have become useless uh, and that none of these companies, like I think Amazon, this fulfillment center that they want to put in Slidell, that they're going to put in Slidell. I think the the way it came up was it, he may have even said himself, I don't know, I forget exactly, but he's like, yeah, it would have been nice if I could have gotten them in one of these existing facilities, but their needs are so specific that, hey, right. I wasn't going to turn them away. I want them to come. And that's when I said, well, is there a place for us, the churches in the community, the people of faith, as a witness to the resurrection to say, hey, how do we take something that's fallen into disrepair that looks dead and lifeless and turn it into something that's alive? How do we do that? What could we do? How can we help? And and I think that's maybe full circle or half circle or figure eight. I mean, somehow we I, always come back around. The, the, uh, the idea that we don't care enough about this world, I think, is the perception of a lot of non-Christians. And so... I actually would agree with that, that I think we tend to get more focused on those things that are otherworldly rather than thinking about, hey, my neighbor has needs, their physical needs, and Jesus took time to care about physical needs. Jesus himself had physical needs. The physical body is good. Jesus has got one. He's got one right now. It's not like he shed the body. He's in a body. He's in a glorified body. That's what resurrection, Easter, right? He's there, and hey, look at my hands and feet. And... uh I think there's a place for Christians to care an awful lot more about this, but uh, I think you need to get some time to go on your bike, and I gotta go. And you gotta go see Grandma. Yeah, I was just thinking, but uh, hopefully, somebody got something out of this. And hey, if nothing else, that you stop to have something delicious to make your week better right at the start. Start with an ice cream sundae or pizza pie or cookie something. Chocolate. Chocolate's good. Dark chocolate. Supposedly healthier. Supposedly, but I mean, I'm, I'm more of us just, you know, made up, <laughs> made up facts Nonsense. about the chocolate yeah. industry. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we should, uh, we, we could talk more about Luther and, and all that stuff, but. And I told we need to get you, um, one of us card decks. <laughs> I'll take it, man. I'll take it. I Thank think you. you would have a lot of fun with it. Uh, we could, we could do a podcast on it, just we, we, it. we could have a uh, unboxing and a uh, discussion of all the uh, get a couple other people here and we can uh, play some cards mm, i didn't know if uh pass should be down for 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 card games but <laughs> hey we can do something <laughs> I don't know. maybe no wagering but uh you oh know, no no of course but you know or like, or like pennies or something you know well you know, or I, ooh, i'm not a high roller how, how about how about a ice cream bet Whoever, whoever wins a particular, whichever game has to pay for next round of ice cream. That works. Can you win all the rounds? Ooh. <laughs> and get, Ooh. That would be kind of tough. Five ice creams or something? Well, just remember out there, Drew, 
Thanks for having me as always. Christians, you know, there's one version and then there's another version. A lot of times people reject things because they're thinking it's not, or they're thinking it's something it's not, if I can say it clearly. But for now, you got to go. Uh, I, I believe we both do. And I got to go work off this ice cream sundae, this ice cream brownie sundae. I'm sorry, man. I know I, <laughs> I, know I can bench you. Don't be sorry. I, uh, I'm actually kind of like, man, I wish it was bigger. Ooh, I know. We wish it for dangerous things. Anymore. I am. I am. So let's get on a bike. All right, y'all. Hey, have a wonderful day. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Ice cream is sweet. Jesus is sweeter. Like, share, comment, subscribe, all those wonderful good things, and we'll catch you later. See ya.